0: For the seventh time, this is First Time for Everything. I'm Adam Richardson.
1: And I'm Jordan Rizzieri.
0: And this is the final episode of season one. Series one? Season one?
1: Yeah. For Americans out there, it's season one. For the Brits out there, it's series
0: one. I mean, we all, we all say season now. It's, it's yeah, with Netflix and everything like that, we all say season and I I just thought I'd say series to be old school, but yeah, we're very much taking taking that on board and calling things seasoned. But yeah, seven episodes. Not many people do seven episodes, right? We thought we'd be a bit different.
1: Yeah, seven's a good number. It's a prime prime number. Mm,
0: it's a lucky number. Um why do even when you can be odd?
1: Yeah, I like I mean I would say that we're both pretty odd.
0: <laughs> oh, I, I can't disagree. Uh so last week's episode was episode 6. And uh, we spoke to Sam Kaur, who is, of course, the managing director of Alternative Press, not Associated Press, and uh, the former editor of Kerrang! magazine. We had fun with that one.
1: Yeah, that was was very interesting. His story about being in Bogota with Metallica made my anxiety go a little crazy. But I'm glad that he had a good time and he must have gotten a really great interview out of it. And it made for a really good story. Yeah, yeah,
0: certainly. It was... uh, it was really cool to talk to him. And I went on his um, Twitter the other day and I saw the post that he put out about leaving Kerrang. And I hadn't done it before, but I clicked into it and saw all the people who would quote tweeted it, all the different people who'd work with him. And he got some glowing sort of reviews and send-offs from his ex-colleagues. I feel like he, would, he did a fantastic job at Kerrang. So as we said last week, it's exciting to see what he'll do with Alternative Press.
1: Yes, I'm very excited to have him at the helm of an American magazine that desperately needs some tender, loving care. Yeah. So
0: should we address the elephant in the room? People may have sensed that you sound a bit different to normal and how our plans for this week's first times may have changed slightly. Should we talk about that right now or should we save that for the end? What do you reckon?
1: Well, we can talk about why I sound different, okay? And that's because I'm currently speaking into my like portable headphones, um, and I'm in a hotel in London right now. Yeah, ta-da! It, Surprise!
0: It, it's ten fifty-six in the morning for both of us for the first yeah. for the first time since we've done this podcast. <laughs> for the first
1: time, we're on the yep. same
0: we're on the same time, so that's pretty exciting. Um, maybe we'll get to all the other stuff at the end of the episode. Cause that's when we usually talk about, uh, what we're doing for the first time this week. And we can have a bit of a longer chat about that. I, I want to hear yep. more about your trip. Um, but for now, this week's guest, who is it, Jordan?
1: It's Lindsay Hayes. Lindsay is someone that I met when I was living in DC. And she's an astrobiologist, which is really Mm -hmm. cool. I didn't, I didn't know anyone who was an astrobiologist or even what an astrobiologist was. So, um, yeah, she's a very passionate scientist. And she talks to us about the very first time she actually felt like a scientist which was wonderful
0: it was this was one of the first ones we recorded and it immediately got me excited about this series about the different people that we're going to be able to talk to and the different subjects we'll talk about so many fascinating things that Lindsay got up to which we're going to hear about uh should we just uh, go straight to that chat now
1: let's jump in <laughs> Well, okay, let me ask this question first, because I think this might actually be a helpful question.
2: What is an astrobiologist? Yeah. So, so there are some who like to make the joke that an astrobiologist and and the person who studies astrobiology is, you know, it's, it's a field without a subject, right? Well, if you're looking for aliens, like, and you don't have aliens, then what do you study? You know, what's the point of this? And um, the answer is more, that um, astrobiology as a field is one that is necessarily collaborative, right? When you're asking the big questions, is there life elsewhere in the universe? What might non-Earth life look like? you can't just be a geologist or a biologist or a chemist or an astronomer, right? You need to think more broadly. You need to be able to communicate with people in other fields and say, so from the geology perspective, we understand this. What, is, what does the biology tell us about this kind of thing? Or, or from a chemical point of view, um, you know, we think that this type of chemistry may be the type of chemistry we see at the origin of life. As an astronomer who studies what other stars look like, how common is that kind of chemistry? How common are those elements in, in, in any given stellar system? Um, and so, so an astrobiologist is somebody who has a background in one field, um, but is um, intensely interested in questions that go beyond what just that field can answer um and specifically the question again of are we alone and and you know and what might other life look like and and how might we study it um and and wants to work with other people to to help get at some of these really fundamental questions that we you know we've been asking for ever <laughs> in a way
1: so if astrobiologists come from diverse backgrounds what is what is your background
2: yeah. So, so my background is in earth science. Um, I am actually a geobiologist by training. Um, I was actually the first person to get a geobi- a PhD in geobiology uh, from MIT because MIT, uh, the department that I was in, it gave you three choices in the geology field, geology, geochemistry, or geophysics. And I was like, I mean, none of those are really what I do. And so you were able to petition the university to give you a title, you know, to give you your PhD in a different field. And I did, and and I was the first person to do that. So I was the first person to get a PhD in geobiology from MIT, Um, which means that that my study really focused on um, what life on this planet is like, and how life on Earth co-evolved with the surface of this planet. Um, You know, uh, there's a lot of oxygen on this planet. um, And that's kind of unusual, um, given the sort of chemistry of our planet. And the reason that there's a lot of oxygen on this planet is that we have had probably about two and a half billion years um, of of single-celled organisms that are now also as chloroplasts um, in plants, just pumping out oxygen, taking in sunlight and pumping out oxygen, splitting water, Pulling those hydrogens off and putting them into sugars and making just pure oxygen that we breathe, um, and you know, give it two and a half billion years, and you can have a pretty good oxygenated atmosphere too. Um, but but how that works and how those those organisms evolve and how um, how life becomes um, complex enough to uh, to affect the world around us um, is the is the kind of thing that that I was interested in and um, that I that's my background
0: cool interesting I love the fact that you've already mentioned the first time as well you know (laughs) being the first person that's good that's very on brand for us we like that um I think a lot of people will be interested to know sort of when um well actually no a lot of this will go straight over my head okay I'm not a scientific person I'm a a flouncy creative person
2: well please (laughs) I, I would love to try and communicate this in a way that is is more um accessible. So if I use too much jargon or if I say things that are a little too technical or or you need a little bit more, you know, please dig in and and what was that that you said about that thing or yeah. whatever.
0: Okay, good. I will. I think I think it's good on a podcast sometimes have you know somebody asking the stupid questions that a lot of the listeners might be thinking. I don't know what that means, so uh, I'm here. I'm here for that, guys. Listeners, I've got your back. I know the I know all the answers really, but I'm going to pretend not and ask those, ask those
2: questions. <laughs> I, I appreciate your sacrifice in this way. <laughs> I, I, I,
0: I'd like to know how often do you um, of a day or or during the week sort of sit there and go, "I'm a scientist."
2: <laughs> you know, there are in the more that I have started working more broadly in the kind of stuff that I do. Um, it, it's at least once a week. Um, I would say more like once a week I have a feeling of like I am so lucky, this is so cool <laughs> yeah. this is really neat stuff you know this is this is the kind of stuff that uh, you know there, there's the 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 standing on the shoulders of giants, right um, this is questions that non-scientists have been interested in that non-scientists are still interested in this are these are questions that, you know, engage the public um, that, that everybody in some way or another um, it can understand why it's neat and I get to do this stuff, that's amazing. Like, that's just the coolest thing ever, right? Um, there are things out there waiting to be known. Um, And there's a lot of them. (laughs) Um, And the fact that, you know, that that the things that I get to work to knowing the things that I get to work to to learn are are some questions that I think just that get at the very basic aspect of like, you know, are are we alone? Are you know what? What? How did we get here? And, you know, and where might other things be thinking the same kinds of questions? Um, I just think is really is really cool.
0: Okay. So we know you are a scientist and we know that you have the the moments where you go, it's so cool that I'm a scientist, which is great. Um, But I guess we should get on to the first time, right, Jordan? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, Lindsay, what (laughs) what was the first time that you wanted to talk about?
2: So so I was going to talk to you guys a little bit today about the first time that I really felt like a scientist. Um, I, uh, I got, I was, I was in university for five years as I was working on my PhD, um, and, um, graduate school is a complex time. <laughs> um, you know, you're, you're, you're going to really starting, um, it's a time when you're really learning to you know to, to be self-driven to do um, experiments and to think about things and to um, you know push the boundaries it's it push the boundaries of scientific knowledge all of that um, by yourself as an individual um, and so you know there's a lot of learning that takes place and then you know you sort of there, there's a there's a balance that happens and you start out you know sort of very you know still not really sure what you're doing and, and how does this work and how does that end instrument work? And what am I supposed to be doing here? And what does it mean to be, you know, thinking about a research question and, and, and coming up with a, a, a way to study it and all of that? Um, but as I got a little bit further into my graduate studies, um, almost the year, almost exactly a year before I graduated, um, I, I spent a month in Yellowstone. Um, and it was an opportunity. I did um, a bunch of field work with a couple different groups Um, I was, you know, it was, it was the first time that month in Yellowstone was the first time that I really felt like, okay, I, I know what kind of research I'm going to be doing. I know what topics I'm going to be studying. I know I I've been, um, I've been preparing for this field work. I've been doing all of this work to set up these experiments when you go into the field you have to sort of have everything with you um you know you have to be ready to go you have to be ready to think about um what may happen weather-wise what may happen um wildlife-wise all of that kind of thing and so this month in Yellowstone um uh, and the field work that I did and, and all of this other stuff uh was really the first time that I felt like I- I'm a scientist now this is what it is to be a scientist
0: Cool.
2: So it was. It was the summer of 2009. Um, I got to you know flew into Bozeman, Montana, which uh, it was not the first time I'd been to Yellowstone, and um, Bozeman is one of my favorite airports to fly into. It's very um, it it embraces this feeling of being very Western. Um, there's you know a lot of taxidermy animals and things everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. And when I first started flying into Bozeman, they had six gates at the airport, so it was a relatively small airport. Um, but uh, you know, rented a car. Uh, I was meeting up with some colleagues um, in Yellowstone, so drove in. And literally, the first day in the park, um, I'm, I'm driving in, and you know, unusually because I was I just passed through Mammoth, uh, which is one of the areas that has a lot of a lot of tourists, a lot of places to stay, that kind of thing. And I was on the road by myself, and I kind of saw something off to the side, and a grizzly popped up walked across the street in front of my car and went back on the other side and and went off about his business. And there was no other cars around me and it was just me and in my car by myself. And I was like, okay, so that's interesting. (laughs) So That's an interesting start to this month in Yellowstone. Right. It was just a very like, you know, it was the park welcoming me. If you, you know, if you will, right. It was sort of like, okay, this is, this is your, this is your month. This is your month to be in the park. Um, i that's that's
0: great because one of the first things i wanted to ask when you said you're in yellowstone is how long was it before you saw a grizzly literally the first day
2: yeah (laughs) (laughs) so yeah um you know you see bison you see more you know the very first time you see a bison in yellowstone you're like oh cool a bison and then by like day two you're like oh god the bison are back okay um (laughs) (laughs) um but uh but yeah so so saw the grizzly right there on the very first thing and that sort of set off this whole month i mean um, it was the first time that my name was on one of the research permits as opposed to being like so-and-so student. Um, you know, my name, as it was, was on the permit myself. So that was kind of cool. Um, means you to get to enter the park and just sort of like, you know, flash your permit and be like, yes, I'm going, I'm here to do research. Um, you have to, you know, you have to engage with the park research office. Um, you have to give them like a whole, like, this is what we plan on doing. These are the places that we're going to go. Um, you know, Yellowstone is a very special place. Um, and so they want to make very sure that the types of research that people are going to do, that they know where people are going to be, that not, you know, 100 people are going to go to the same place at the same time, you know, that they're going to explore different thermal features or different, you know, forest features or different wildlife features or whatever, because the Park Research Office covers any research that's done there. Um, and so, you know, so being named on a permit was kind of a cool thing, right? Because here I am, I am a scientist in my own right. Like that's, that was a big part of it as well. Um, the, the main experiment that I did that summer was actually one that I had been, and this was another reason that it felt like I very much felt like a scientist, is it was an an iterative experiment, right? Oftentimes in science, it's not like I have this idea, I do this experiment, I learn this thing, and then we're done. It's often like, I have this idea, I try this experiment, it fails miserably, but I figure out I can tweak it a little bit and do this again. Okay, I try it again. Oh, this part failed this time. Okay, tweak that. And it's this, you know, it's this. You may learn something or you may learn something that's super confusing. So you need to repeat the experiment in a slightly different way. And you have to do this multiple times until you can actually get to the experiment that you're trying to do. And, um, you know, we've been we've been tweaking this experiment for a while. There are these types of um, microorganisms that live in the hot springs and they're these long pink filaments. They kind of look they look a little bit like snot um not a ton but a little bit like snot um and we've been trying to figure out what it was that they ate right so they live in very very hot waters they're usually like right up next to the hot spring we're talking like 90 celsius or so so like almost boiling water very very hot um and so we've been trying to figure out what they ate and so one of the things you can do is you can feed them. isotope labels, right? So you give them um, not radioactive isotopes, but stable, you know, heavier isotopes, basically. Um, So not like carbon 14, which is radioactive, but carbon 13, which is heavier than carbon 12, which is the normal carbon. Um, And you can give them, you know, sort of heavy labeled things. So you can give them, um, you know, deuterium which is the hydrogen that's the heavier hydrogen. Um, And you can do that. And then later you can go and take them and then see where they put those um, isotopes into themselves. And so that's how you know they ate them, basically. Um, And so so we've been doing this for a while. The problem with doing this stuff in Yellowstone is you have to set it up before you go to the park, do the experiment at the park, bring the samples back to your lab. I mean, the park is only like not frozen for like four months of the year. Um, do the experiment back in your lab, wait till next summer <laughs> with your results. So you only get sort of one chance every summer to do this. And so this year, we the experiment that we had involved, like I wound up having to go and like buy a bunch of things at Home Depot and like actually build this contraption. Um, and we were trying to figure out like, how can we give them like a little bit of these compounds at a time. And so I wound up like going over to the medical center and being like, hi, so I'm really interested in um, IV bags. Do you have any like IV bags that I can have? And I convinced a nurse there to, they had some IV bags that expired. And so they were like, yeah, sure, we can like empty them because you can't have the liquid that's in them. But you can have the IV bags and then you can like fill them up with your own thing. So I set up this whole contraption and it involved, you know, like this like tent pole kind of thing and hanging the IV bags and, you know, tuning it. So we got the right amount of like drip feeding into these microbes. And then you have to make sure that, you know, you're not contaminating the rest of the downstream. So you have to build this like really long tube elsewhere. And I had to figure out how to use a pump to get the liquid from the hot spring into these microbes and stuff, um, which meant at one point I actually had to hike for like three miles with a um, car battery in my backpack, which was heavy, and that was a big pain. But the bigger issue was that I forgot I had to ford a river. And I was like, oh, so it would be really bad if I got this battery that's in my backpack wet while I was in the river. Like that seems like that would be a really bad idea. Yeah. So, you know, so so there was all of this like – Okay. How can I make this thing work? How can I you know, think through all of these problems that we've had in the past, address them in you know, sort of interesting new solution ways? You know, and I came up with this whole thing and we did this great experiment and we actually were able to publish a paper off of it. So, you know, this summer was took, you know, a lot of sort of creative thinking on my part, a lot of independent creative thinking on my part, um, you know, a lot of literally carrying things all around the park, um, you know, to to explore these microbes um, that that were very strange right that you can't grow them in the lab you can't think about what they might do by having them in the lab because they only live at 90 degrees celsius and they need something in the hot spring water you don't really know what that is um so so it was a really just the the iterative process and having that culminate in this in this trip and um you know doing these experiments in the hot springs was just a really okay, this is, this is real science. You know, this is really what it means to be a scientist. Um, and that was, that was really cool.
0: So cool.
1: <laughs> so I have a question of which yeah. I'm, I wonder if other people would ask this question. Um, I'm sure somebody out there is thinking it. So that was the summer of 2009. That was 12 years ago. Um, do we know what those microbes eat yet?
2: Yeah. So we have a pretty good sense of what those microbes eat now. Um, that experiment is it all actually, because of your work yeah i mean well so i mean it wasn't yes. yeah <laughs> um not surprisingly they they like carbon compounds they like sugars kind of like us um the question from that is where do they get those <laughs> because mm. these things live at 90 degrees celsius which is like right near where the water is coming you know the hot the hot bubbling water is coming right out of the ground where are they getting these you know these carbon compounds and such um we expected that they would be more what we call autotrophs, which means you take in inorganic carbon, carbon dioxide. You know, plants can be autotrophs, right? They take in carbon dioxide and they make sugars. We are not autotrophs, right? We take in sugars and break down the sugars to make other sugars, basically. Um, And autotrophs are things that take in inorganic carbon, carbon compounds of a whole variety of types. And we kind of expected them to be autotrophs because they live in this like really crazy environment but they weren't (laughs) um but that was interesting too right and this is what i mean about this iterative process okay cool so they're not so now where does this come from you know where are they where are they getting these compounds from what what are they eating um you know and that's that's the next question right now now how do you figure out where where that comes from
0: cool lindsay do you mind me asking how old you were in in that summer
2: I was 26 that summer.
0: Okay, cool. So, and, and were, were you, um, was there a team of you? You know, was this a, a collaborative thing? How big was, so, was the team?
2: So I had been working uh, with uh, a professor at Arizona State University. Uh, his name's Everett Schock. He's a chemist. He's been working in Yellowstone for many, many years. Um, and one of the things that he has done that's really quite interesting um, is really explored the chemical space Right. So if you think about the range of temperature and pH that you get in ocean waters, you know, we think of the ocean as this vast place with all of these crazy different environments. And for a lot of, in a lot of ways, it is. But when you think of the range of temperature and pH that you get in ocean waters, it's actually quite small. When you think of the range that you get in temperature and pH space in Yellowstone hot springs, it's orders of magnitude in each direction, right? It's it's can be much colder to much, much hotter. It can be, you know, much more b- basic to much more acidic. And there's just a whole range of temperatures, these whole range of environments. And when you change what the environmental conditions are, you change the sort of energetics of what different organisms eat. So if you have a lot of, um you know, if you have a lot of, if you have a lot of certain types of chemicals outside, it's much easier to eat those as an organism than if you don't have a lot if you have to if you have to pull in bananas right and there's not a lot of bananas outside it's going to take a lot of energy to go find a banana and to eat the banana if the banana is the only thing you can eat if there are a ton of bananas outside you can gain a lot of energy by eating bananas right because they're easy to find and you don't have to go too hard and you don't it doesn't it's not really hard to sort of get them into your cells um And so understanding what those different chemical environments are has been something he's been working on for a long time. So I was with his group. Um, When you go into the field with with groups like this, oftentimes you have a number of different groups that are individually working on different things. So you go Mm -hmm. to one area that has a number of thermal features, hot springs, maybe a geyser or two, whatever. Um, And this group will work on this, this hot spring, or this part of the hot spring and do this particular research, that group will go be working over there. Some group wants to look at the microbial mat and try and understand um, how these different photosynthetic organisms work together. One other group wants to collect, you know, just go and, you know, spot new hot springs, right? Is oh, go, that one's new this year because Yellowstone is still a very active place. So you occasionally will show up at a place one year and it'll look completely different than it looked last year. Um, One of the places, Obsidian Pool, started out when i started going to the park as one way and between one season and the next a hot spring uh, or a thermal feature opened up that you could have drive you could have driven like a chevy suburban into um and it just wasn't there the year before and the next summer, there's all, all of a sudden this new hot spring feature. And that's really cool because, hey, now you get to understand how different microbes, different organisms start to colonize the environment, these environments. What happens? You know, how different does a thing that's existed for 30 years look than a thing that's existed for, you know, less than a year? Um, mm. And so it's really, you know, it's a cool place.
0: Just for uh, for for the Brits listening, Chevy Suburban. You know, could you name a British car that that's similar to size wise? Oh boy, <laughs> I'm not Jordan, really, I'm not expecting you to really.
2: It's a, I know it's a, a very a big large. Car. It's a very large SUV. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's larger than a Land Rover. How's that?
0: Uh, oh, good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, now I know exactly. You yeah, know, I've got a friend reference <laughs> there.
2: But I mean in in you know eight months to have something like that open up that's you know I Mm. I wish I could have seen the process the progress of something like that because you know did it did it dissolve did it explode what where how does this happen (laughs) um so
0: amazing I just want to take it back quickly to some listeners are probably like hey why did you just ask how old she was and then just move on the reason why I was interested in how old you were is because I think, um, I don't know, I guess a lot of people when like if, if you had a conversation with, say, an 18 year old, you might be like, OK, 26, you're going to know exactly what you're doing, where you're going, <laughs> what your career is. You, you you hopefully will be able to say what y- you are. And Jordan, with her history of her, uh, her other podcast, um, has spoken to a lot of people about their careers and things. And I know a common thread has been like, I didn't I didn't know what I wanted to do. And it was ages before I actually had any confidence in what I was and what I was doing. And even then I ended up changing it. But for you to be able to say, I I am a scientist, or I feel like a scientist at 26, that that feels pretty that feels pretty good. That feels pretty early. I don't know. I, I guess my preconception would have been that there would have been a lot more time and a lot more training involved and a lot of other things going on before you'd got to that that stage so uh...
2: so so i would say that this is the first the, the assignment as i understood it
1: <laughs> um, yeah yeah yeah
2: <laughs> this was the first time i really felt like a scientist um and, and i would say that at this point i still feel like a scientist but i feel like a very different kind of scientist um mm. my my professional path has taken um a lot of different turns since then This was the first time that I sort of claimed the mantle of scientist as as me, as who I am. But but what that meant in terms of uh, what I used that to do changed a number of times afterwards. Right. I spent some time doing only research um, after, after this point and realized that I really didn't like that, that I really didn't like just going into the lab every day and, you know, and spending time in a lab coat with gloves on doing chemistry, doing whatever, making measurements, that kind of thing. It just was not, it just was not a thing that I really wanted to be doing every day. And so that was after taking on this mantle for myself as a scientist, um, there were a lot of different, like sort of hats, science hats that I put on, um, and to, to find my way to something that, um, that, that I really, that I really felt I was good at, that I really liked doing. Um, and so, you know, I've, I've certainly wandered a bit even after I, you know, I sort of, um, assumed the mantle of scientist.
0: Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I think one of the things that I really resonated with, um, was the the whole getting there and putting on your name badge and i was just thinking of all the different times in my life when i've had moments like that where you're like oh my god they're giving me a lanyard
1: and this, <laughs> this has got my
0: full name on it and now they want a picture of me on it this is incredible Yep. Jordan, can you think, can you think, put you on the spot? Is there like a first time when you got given a, a name badge somewhere and you're like, I've got my own badge, I'm a big
1: deal. <laughs> yeah, the, the the first like non-retail job that I had when I was living in DC involved me working for the government sort of um, as, a, as a contractor, but it involved because, because of that, you had to like have a badge that you got fingerprinted by the government and then your badge had like a, a thing in it so that you could touch it to the the door and then the door would open. Ooh. Yeah, it was pretty wow. it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool but also a little scary that I was like what else is in here? Cuz what I'm working on doesn't <laughs> seem like state secrets, but uh this is uh yeah, interesting. Um yeah. But yeah, it makes you feel like kind of important, right? It makes you feel like, "Oh, all right. Well,
2: I've arrived now." They, yeah definitely. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a person in my own right. I'm a whatever it is in my own right. You know, I am I am Lindsay and I am a scientist kind of thing
1: yeah amazing I also I think it's so interesting too because I think sometimes we forget how much of the early part of our life the like word that we would use to describe ourselves as student and like the changeover from student to the thing is such a huge moment um as somebody who went from student to I don't know what the fuck I'm doing is <laughs> <laughs> You know, it that can be very, you know, stress inducing and make you feel like I'm staring into the abyss and the abyss is staring back kind of thing. But to be able to go from student to the thing, that sounds incredible. And also there was a bear. So that makes it. Yeah, there was a bear. That, that <laughs> yeah. was
2: not actually that was not actually the only bear I saw that summer, although it was the first bear I saw in Yellowstone, too. Ever? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was the first time. I mean I'd been to Yellowstone four or five times, four times, four times previously to them than that. Um, but uh but yeah, that was the first time that I, I was it was it was also the first sort of unambiguous bear sighting where I was like, that is definitely a bear.
0: <laughs> There's I, I love no how one. many different first times we're getting wrapped up in this first time. It's brilliant. <laughs> it is brilliant. I haven't seen a bear. Me neither. You don't get many bears near me.
1: <laughs> I saw a moose once.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, so another thing about this summer was this was the first time that my advisor had come out with me, right. Where I sort of was like, okay, my, my advisor, my supervisor, like this is what, you know, this is what this experiment is. And so he and I, um, you know, spent some time doing some research, um, setting up this experiment and running it. I mean, the, the the main point of this experiment, because it was this, this sort of labeled feeding experiment, you had to set it up and then let it run for like six hours. So you had to get out fairly early in the morning, go and set it up, and then you could go do some other things. you had to come back to keep checking on it. Um, but you had to, you know, you had to be there. And so one of the days we went to... Um, to Octopus Spring, which is actually one of the more famous hot springs in Yellowstone that you can't go to um, because as COVID has taken over our lives and the words PCR, um, you may, may have heard, you know, PCR testing is one of the ways you can do COVID testing. Now, PCR is actually polymerase chain reaction, and it's a way to take a tiny little bit of DNA and basically make a bunch of copies of it, right? And um, until PCR was invented, PCR was the way that we were able to sort of um, the genetic revolution was able to happen. Right. We really couldn't. It was before PCR was invented, getting understanding what genes were or reading genes and reading pieces of DNA was really, really complicated. You had to have somebody like come in every like five minutes and do a thing. Um, PCR allowed you to just set it in a block that can go up and down in temperature and just make those copies, right? It was sort of like in the analogy of a copy machine, it was the, it was going from having to hit the button every time you made the copy to just being like, I would like 50,000 copies, please. And then you press the button and then you walk away until then to make each copy, you would have to press a button basically. And PCR was invented, um, because of a particular enzyme that was found in a hot spring in Yellowstone. And so, like, there's a direct tie between our ability to, you know, make these quick measurements for COVID tests and such, and Yellowstone. And so without, without Yellowstone, you wouldn't have... You know, you wouldn't have the genetic revolution. You wouldn't have PCR. You wouldn't have a whole bunch of things. And an octopus spring was one of the places that uh, that was the subject of a lot of study of, from the people who were sort of, um, you know, from the, from the people who ultimately were able to, to make the compounds um, that became the key enzyme in PCR. And so Octopus Spring, you know, is holds is sort of near and dear to a lot of people's hearts uh, who spend time thinking about thermal hot springs, which is admittedly relatively small group of people, probably. (laughs) But but we were there working in Octopus Spring. We would set up our experiment again. We had the permit, um, but uh, there is a we were sitting there working on the hot spring, you know, running our experiment uh, when a ranger came by and said, hey guys, what you doing? <laughs> um, and, you know, you're on federal property and so the federal rangers have, you know, like they are, they are the law enforcement um, in the agency. And we, you know, explained what we did. Do you have a permit? Yes, we do. Here's the permit. Um, and you know, as with a lot of things, when you are communicating science to somebody who's not a scientist, you have to be very careful about the words you use. And uh I think both my advisor and I were flustered in that moment because, oh gosh, here's the here's the ranger. Um, and he used a word, honestly, I can't even remember what it was right now, but it for whatever reason triggered the ranger. And he was like, well, I don't actually think that your permit covers the work you're doing. And it di- again, I will repeat, it did. It did cover the work that we were doing. And uh-huh. he's like, I'm not sure. And so I, I'm going to write you a ticket right now, a federal ticket. Um, and on Monday, you can go to the research station And talk with them. And if they agree that this is not, you know, that this is allowed, like, it'll be fine. And, you know, it'll be, you know, we'll sort of just wipe the ticket. It's no problem. Um, But if not, you're going to have to pay this ticket. So also my first time getting a ticket in a federal, in a federal park, um, it, uh, you know, so, so here we are, we have to like pack up our experiment and like put it away because the ranger is going to like escort us out of the site we wound up, it was a Saturday. So of course, the, the 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 research office wasn't open again until the Monday. So we dutifully show up on Monday. And the ranger, of course, has communicated with the person, these people are going to come by, confirm that this is in their permit. We have this short conversation, it was our first time actually meeting this person, we, you know, emailed back and forth with her and sent them documents about what the research we were going to do. And you know, she's like, No, you know, I think I understand what you're doing. And I do think it was within scope. And so yeah, we'll just, you know, we'll waive this ticket, we'll cancel it, whatever. Um, we were my advisor and I, we're like, that sounds great. We went out to another field site, did some other experiments, came back, and we were in the car. We're packing up the car. And I look up and I go, hey, look, that's Ranger Chris. It was the guy who gave us the ticket. He drove by, saw us, Pulled a U-turn, <laughs> came back and was like, hey guys, I talked to the, you know, the research station today. They said your your ticket wasn't a problem. So look, I'm gonna rip it up for you. And it was like, you know, like the, the park <laughs> is huge. It's one of the largest national, you know, not the largest, but it's the first national park. Um, but it's a quite big national park. And somehow, like that day, he just happened to be driving by and there he was, and he was like, Oh yeah, let me rip it up. No worries, you know, good luck with your research this summer. Hope it goes great. And it was just kind of like. Well, that was a strange <laughs> coincidence kind of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: And Yellowstone was the first national park.
2: It was the first national
1: park. This is yep. this is the best. I mean, Adam, <laughs> I think we should cancel the podcast after this.
2: Yeah. <laughs> There's
0: not many other firsts to do now. Yeah. No. <laughs> can't believe this. Cool. Wow.
2: I, I understand the assignment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Scientists. She's a scientist. Yeah. So...
1: I don't know, Adam, do you want to ask some of the the like so some some of the questions that we've asked before have been like, if you could go back and do the first time over again, is there anything that you would change? I mean, probably not getting a ticket, but it does. It did make a good story. So
2: this this whole summer was absolutely full of kind of interesting, like coincidences like that. Interesting, whatever. It also um, I, I brought my parents out for a week. And so, you know, got to have them and, and show them my field sites. Hey, look, this is this hot spring that we study and this is what it means. And, you know, this is why it's important for this or it's important for that. Or, you know, I, I couldn't show them all of the hot springs because some of them are not as safe or some of them, you know, whatever um, off the trail. You know, when want to really take people who aren't permitted off the trail. Um, but but it was, you know, I, I think I would have I I think I probably would have tried to get them to stay a little bit longer um and really you know do a little bit more you know like hey isn't this cool you know that kind of thing I also I had another friend come out for a bit um and you know and we just you know we we backpacked and hiked and camped and you know all that kind of stuff it was um spending the time out there I may have tried to bring out um the man who is now my husband uh, who at that point had just moved in with me and then I left him for a month with my house and my cat um I thought <laughs> you were gonna he say he was
0: driving. he was the officer he was the officer that gave me the ticket <laughs> oh. that would have been an incredible story <laughs>
2: <laughs> no unfortunately no no he, not, he not, tore not up him. the ticket he yeah. wrote his number on one half of it <laughs> <laughs> yeah no not not the story doesn't get that that uh that convoluted um no. but you know okay i i probably would have tried to bring him out and had him come out for you know for a mm. week or something and just you know showed him the park as well um but
0: i love that you got your your parents out there i wonder if you were to ask them now if that was the first time when they thought our daughter is a scientist.
2: You know, I, I, it's hard to say. So my, my dad actually passed away just about 10 years ago. Um, and the, the cool thing, I mean, so, so he was the first Dr. Hayes. Um, and so I was the second Dr. Hayes. Um, and, and, you know, his PhD was in economics, but he was always interested. He got his undergraduate in geography. Um, and so, you know, he really liked, um, outdoors and maps and things like that. And, and I think that, um, you know, being able to show my parents, you know, whenever they would come up to visit me at school, I would always show them the lab and, you know, this is where I spend time and this is the kind of things I do here and whatever. Um, but there's something a lot different in a sort of, this is a slightly wild space. This is a slightly unpredictable space. Um, And this is, you know, this is a space that I feel comfortable in, right? This is a space that, um, that I know how to move about as a, you know, as an independent person, that I've, that I know how to handle myself in various situations uh, when we are out here. And, you know, I think that I, I think that there was a, certainly an aspect of that. Like this is, you know, I am not only am I a grown up, but I am a grown up scientist um, who, you know, who has this place um, that I that I can go to and be at and that sort of thing.
1: Beautiful. I love that. I, I really love the idea that your parents were like flying back to wherever they were living at the time and maybe one of them turned to the other one and is like, Does she really ford a river with a battery in her backpack? That was a good idea. <laughs> yeah. It's a very expensive education and sh- yeah. We, we thought she was smart, but
2: that was not the smartest thing that she did. Yeah.
0: We brought her up better than this. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I think if we were going to give out awards on this podcast, we would have to give Lindsay the award for most first times squeezed into one interview.
0: Yeah, she she was great. She knew the assignment. She just kept on squeezing new first times in. And uh, we really appreciated that. As I said, this was one of the first times we recorded. So, you know, it, it kind of proved to us that the concept worked, didn't it? When somebody kept on bringing up new first times.
1: Yeah, and the idea that she was in a national park in the U S doing all of this interesting work. We learned so many scientific things talking to her and uh, yeah, if you're ever in Yellowstone, keep your eye out for bears and scientists because you never know who you might run into.
0: <laughs> yeah, perfect. And uh, if you have any similar stories, if we have any other scientists listening, uh, tell us about the first time you felt like a scientist. You can email ftfepod at gmail.com or get in touch on Twitter. FTFE Pod. Okay, this week's first times for you and me. Obviously, we are on the same um, same time. What do they call it? What's the phrase? Why can't I? Time zone. Time zone. That's the one. We're on the same time zone for the first time s- since doing this podcast. Is it the first time since we've sort of known each other? I mean, I, I, like, yes. We addressed very early on. I have been in the same room as you in England, but you, we didn't actually know each other. We just started wrestling Weirdo. show.
1: Weirdo.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, but this is the first time that Jordan has come over here. What are you doing? Why are you here? Was it just to come and record this podcast live?
1: Yeah, it was. I just figured I'd book a hotel so that we could get in the same time zone yeah. so that you wouldn't get confused about what time it was for me. Okay, good. Um, A really dear and wonderful friend of mine who's from the Manchester area got married mm. this weekend. And so my dad and I came over to attend the wedding and it was – so much fun. So there's a first time for you. I've never been to a wedding in the UK before. It's really not that much different. It's just a little less dramatic. Okay. <laughs> the US weddings are very over the top and dramatic. This was much more, it was very sweet, I think is the right, the right word. It was very sweet, very intimate. The food was amazing. The music was so much fun. I had a really wonderful time. And because we didn't really know that many people besides the bride and groom, it was just so nice to be embraced by people you don't know because they were like, oh, you've come such a long way. Like, let's make sure you have a good time. And we, d- we definitely did. So. Oh, lovely. That's so nice. I haven't
0: been to a wedding for ages, ages. I'm at that stage in life where most of my friends who are going to get married have got married. There's a couple left, but you don't want to pile too much pressure on them because, you know, they may have decided they don't want to, which is absolutely fine. So um, yep. I need... I don't know I guess I'm just gonna have to go and crash some strangers weddings at some point maybe I should have come up to Stoke well
1: in case any of your friends who are not married Mm. are like I we don't want to get married I highly recommend maybe throwing so my parents best friends never got married and they just threw themselves a party when they had been together for a certain number of years so one it's cheaper than having a wedding because the you know as soon as you say wedding or marriage, they inflate the prices for everything. But mm-hmm. I would recommend just throw a big party. Just throw a big party, party and bring yeah. all your friends together and say like, we've been together for, you know, 15 years or whatever it is. We're never getting married, but come have a party.
0: That's a cool idea. I like that. Okay. I'm going to suggest uh, that to my friends. I mean, I think the ones who I'm thinking about have only been together for about three years, but we could have a three-year party.
1: Or five. Just give it. I mean, it's going to take them two years no. to plan it anyway. So. I want a party
0: sooner. four four years (laughs) okay yeah compromise um so our first time it kind of didn't work out did it we were supposed to be the whole cool fun idea for the last episodes of the series was i was going to get on a train back up to london i was going to come to your hotel bring my recording gear and we were gonna meet properly for the first time and record our final episode but it hasn't happened
1: that's not what happened at all. Um, my dad got a new phone right before we came over here. And I, as the the child who was supposed to make sure that the technology was set up properly, I did not do my job. So this was entirely my bad. He has a phone that basically doesn't work. It's a very, very expensive camera, basically, at this point. Right. Um, and he actually was visiting. So he used to work for a company that had offices in London and in the Ilkley Moors, and so mm-hmm. he wanted to see a lot of his old colleagues that he hasn't seen in like 30 years. Yeah. So I wasn't going to stop him from doing those things, but that meant I had to go with him because he had no way of contacting anyone. So unfortunately, the timing just did not work work out for us to meet up. But we're, we're still in the same time zone, which we've never recorded in the same time zone before. So that's the first time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's nice knowing that, yeah, you're kind of on the same sort of a similar mental wavelength in the sense that you've been awake for probably a similar number of hours. Because <laughs> usually we record, you've literally just got up, so you're slightly bleary-eyed. I've usually literally just had lunch, so I'm usually a bit bloated or, or tired. And So yeah, this is this is cool. I wonder if the listeners can tell the difference. Almost certainly not.
1: I'm trying to think if there are any other first times that I had while... I was here. Um, mm. I met some friends of mine who live, also friends who live in the Manchester area. I met their son for the first time. He was born in March. Oh, he's that's very nice. sweet. Yeah, he's very sweet. So that was fun. And then my dad obviously has met a lot of my friends for the first time. And I met his colleagues for the first time. We spent yesterday down towards Basingstoke. Yeah. Um, and we had a really nice time with them that we, we basically did like a mini pub crawl with them where we went to all the different pubs in their town that they like to hang out in. So cool. Yeah. We've, we've had a really, really good time. And today my dad rides a motorcycle, a Harley Davidson. So we're going to the Harley Davidson here in London. So he can buy a London Harley Davidson t-shirt. Very, very important task for our last, our last day. Cause we go home tomorrow.
0: Ah, oh, that's cool. Okay. I'm just sorry about the weather. Although you you were kind of expecting this, I imagine.
1: Yeah, the fact that this is like really the first kind of miserable day. Otherwise, like we had a little bit of rain the day we left Stoke. But other than that, it's been lovely. So I'll take one. One Okay. Eight, it's fine.
0: (laughs) So yeah, so this is the last episode of the season. We were never going to do it weekly, um, you know, ongoing. We thought it's quite nice to sort of select a load of guests, get a season out, and then we'll come back. Uh, When are we going to come back? Should we tell people? Or should we leave it a surprise?
1: I think we should leave it as a surprise mostly because I don't know that we've ever really agreed on when we're going to
0: come back. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's a chat we'll have off air. Um, But yeah, we will come back. And uh, if there's anybody that you'd like us to speak to, if you if you know somebody particularly interesting, doesn't have to be a big famous superstar celebrity, doesn't have to be a musician or comedian or a scientist or a journalist, if there's anybody from any walk of life who you think's got a good story, then you can get in touch. As I said before, ftfepod at ftfepod.gmail.com or ftfepod on Twitter. Um, and that is pretty much it. It's been great to do a podcast series for the first time with you, Jordan.
1: Yeah, this has been really fun. I feel like we've talked to some really interesting people. I feel like you and I have developed a, a nice rapport for these opening and closing parts of the episodes it's been really fun and maybe who knows maybe at the end of season two we'll actually record in the same room yeah
0: oh, but yeah maybe that can just be an ongoing thread throughout the whole throughout every season and it'll get to see so we've 10, never
1: actually met each other in and we st-
0: still won't have done it yeah and then we'll record an episode on the top of the empire state building or something really dramatic in front of a live oh. audience because the podcast will be huge
1: yeah mm-hmm.
0: perfect cool well i think we should probably end it
1: Should we give a big, big shout out and thank you as always to Katie Burke and Funkle Albert for our show art and for our music. Thank you so much because it's been a great part of every single episode. So
0: yeah, we should certainly do that. Um, And we should also say that we're proud to be part of the ACAST Creator Network because uh, ACAST helped us early days get us set up on there, um, uh, which has been cool. And yeah, we'll be back sometime.
1: That is officially it. That's really it. This is really this is it. This, this is this it. This is it. That's yeah. it.
0: That was it. That was the series. That was first time for everything.
1: Season 1 in the back.
0: Goodbye.